hear the scream from the bed. I jump up, right? Obviously, no underwear. Throw the pants on. Zipper goes straight up. Nothing but pain. That sucks. Not as bad as Decon, though, I will say. Oh, but you know what doesn't suck? What? Haha, <laughs> is uh, First Line Technologies Hybrid Decon. They are revolutionizing the decon process with their bar method of blot, apply, and remove using wet and dry decon. Now, you got to think about this, guys. No more hoses and rigging and finding large surface areas, or it's not surface areas, but areas to store your stuff. You're able to throw it right in the trunk of the old Corolla and get it right to the scene. Yeah, and don't believe the rest of the country that's switching over to hybrid decon. Don't believe us that switched over to hybrid decon. Do your own research at Make Decon Suck Less or visit them at FirstLineTechnologies.com where First Line Technology is making decon suck just a little less. Turns out I'm walking around all day long with this little tiny freaking pebble stuck in my shoe. It, it does suck. That you sucks. know what else sucks? You know what sucks? Decon. Not just decon. Metering. Response options. Refreshers. They all suck when you're not being taught by the hazmat guys. So why, why should that you have true. us come in and do your training? Because we deliver experience and not just plain and boring and uninspiring training. When we come to train, we won't deliver a course designed years ago. Every course is updated for fresh takes and emerging trends. So doing this takes time and effort. Yeah, and the outcome we is end up it. partnering with other companies that are going to be with us, whether it's their equipment uh, or their ideology or even sometimes their people to help the training suck less. Right. So we're going to guarantee our instructors keeps everybody engaged and we only partner with the best, the best in the field. So don't let your potential go untapped. Choose us as your training partner and embark on a personal and professional growth journey. Contact us now by going to the hazmat.com slash hire us to reserve your spot and start your training. Good times. Uh, <laughs> refreshing root beer in one of our tumblers uh, with our with our little Timmy logo on it. it. Is. Anyway. High quality H2O. Uh, we have, you know what? I got to say, we are, we had the hazmat specialist uh, happy hour the other day. Um, had a couple of gents on. Uh, actually, I was outnumbered. I think I was really? the only guy from the United States there. Yeah, it was uh, all Canadian and uh, sorry, no, I'm sorry, Hawaii. He <laughs> is the United States. I forget. But we were talking about those wildfires what about, and what wow, about the wildfires? Anything on a insane. hazmat level about the wildfires? That. Yeah, we we were talking about the batteries. Uh, that's a big deal over there. Um, which we're going to have a couple episodes on what happened okay. because that's still happening. Uh, about how they're handling the lithium ion batteries because it turns out that like. Everything in Hawaii has lithium-ion batteries. Every house has solar, Tesla walls, 
everything has batteries in it. And now because the fires went through, there's some variation of compromise oh. in every cell that's out there. So we had a long discussion about it. It was well worth any other conversation about that like one. blue um, lasers and like conspiracy theories that have been being thrown out there. I swear to God, like people are saying Hawaii was burned down by uh, blue lasers from the sky. So no. Okay. Oh my God. No. No, we didn't have anything like that. It's just, you know what? We're doing these recordings in bulk now uh, for all you out there in, in, in the interwebs um, because we are recording like madmen to go back into the early days of recording and that were only audio only and we're putting video to them and we're building out an LMS. Yeah. Insane. It's going to be crazy. Pretty much all the content. Um, we have figured out a really great way to turn it into a learning model uh, to be able to fit things like refresher trainings, uh, just generalized. Hey, we want to drill on this this week. Okay, we're going to go to the, the hazmat guys and uh, let's let's pull up this topic and, and we're going to drill on it. This week. So a lot of good things on the horizon. Always good things on the horizon. We always have a horizon. Not a lot of people can say we and if people wanted we to do. look ahead to the horizon to find out where we're going to be what conferences we're going to be at what 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 kind of oh. uh what kind of things do they have to look forward to places times events uh let's see in order i think we have um indiana and oklahoma and then Florida, I believe, are the next three in list. I really should make a better list for this. I, I, I built this better, but I will be doing more prepared. I say that every week. So I will say that every week. Today, so. Anywho, today's, you know, we, you never know where the inspirations topic. for shows are going to come from. And the inspiration for this show came from a very oddly looking shaped plume model that we were showing and talking about on the roundtable the other night uh one guy thought it, it looked like a beautiful uh succulent booby and another person thought it looked like a person wearing a bikini either way it got me thinking right there were all these variables and it's so interesting how these plume models can take these variables i wanted to understand better what exactly the factors were that influenced how a chemical did what it did because even during our conversation it was an ammonia release and we were saying, we were talking about the humidity, we were talking about the temperatures, and what is it that ends up putting chemicals where they end up coming? And the dispersion of gases during a chemical release is influenced by so many different variables, right? Whether it's the environment that's around it, the chemical and physical properties itself, the weather, the terrain, understanding how things like the weather and chemical physical properties is going to influence where a chemical is going to go. That might be something that's crucially important to be able to make that split second decision, right? Like I arrive on scene, something's happening. I do a quick chemical physical properties. I don't have time to break out my plume modeling software or wait for the weather station to arrive. I want to make the best possible educated guess based upon a certain set of variables. I like that. I, I think it's very applicable, to be honest here. I mean, for the first one we're, we're going to go through is wind speed the and most direction. Impactful. Right? Wind, it is. And it's something that, like, I, I think everybody thinks about in some way. It, it, it's, 
we use wind. It helps and hurts us because sometimes it's really good because it disperses gases, and sometimes it hurts us because it disperses gases. You know, so um, the direction, the distance that the gases will 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 travel is all induced by that. So high wind speeds can really dilute and disperse gases over a large area, reducing the concentration. And conversely, low wind speeds can result from slower dispersion and may lead to the accumulation of gases yeah, kind in of a, lower lying areas. A, or a similar way, to, a different way of saying the same thing is that the wind direction is going to dictate the path of dispersion. Which it may not seem like it's saying the same thing, but it really is, right? Gas is downwind can affect populated areas, but how it comes out, if, if anyone's ever, and I highly recommend you do, oh my God, it was just in my head and now it's gone. The chem the chlorine release in the desert, Operation Jackrabbit. Oh, Jackrabbit. Jackrabbit Jack too. When you watch those videos, you see the plume is solely affected by wind, at least the shape, right? The direction of the path and the shape of the cone is primarily directed by the wind. If there was zero wind, there'd be a completely different dispersion pattern. Um, and I think that's pretty intuitive to us. I don't think we need to really dive much into wind. You blow on something, it moves around. Right. <laughs> now, another one uh, uh, the uh, Captain Obvious is throwing out here is, is temperature. Right. Temperature affects the buoyancy and the vertical distribution or dispersion of gases. So in this thing, we, we said this many times, things that you assume that go up or things that should go down, temperature is going to modify that. That's like the uh, the correction factor on it. So warm L, warm air is less dense than cold air, causing the gases to rise more easily. And this can result in a plume rise where the gas cloud may ascend to higher altitudes before then hooking yeah. and going horizontal. Unless so the it depends kicks in and you have a temperature inversion, right? <sighs> and this is where uh, you have like a, a kind of like a layer of warm air that is trapped by cooler air near the ground. Uh, and what this does is this inhibits vertical distribution distribution so things are less likely to go up during a temperature inversion this is going to cause all the gas to remain close to the surface uh which means that it increases your likelihood of uh exposure risk because that chemical is going to be sitting around for a lot longer than it normally would um and there's we you know we you think about the things that you think about the the variables right oh temperature well what things affect temperature because this is where we start to have to play the different variable games. And, and daytime heating is something that would affect temperature, right? We have changes. As the, this incident can occur, we're going to have changes in the temperature because the temperature is never just static for an extended period of time. It's always changing. So being able to predict what's going to happen in the future, that's a huge critical thing that hazmat technicians have to do. And understanding that during the day, normally things up right the, the 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 sun is gonna give energy to the earth it's gonna create thermal at the ground level it creates thermal uplifts up lifts the ground gets warm the air gets warm because the ground gets warm the hot air rises and that is going to bring things up so you have temperature inversions happening you have heating from the ground that's happening and you kind of have these like battle of battle of physics you know battle of uh um kind of that conductive not conductive whoa what's the you have con 
Convective. There we go. Convective. You have the battle of convective yes. uh, currents where some want to go up, some want to go down. Temperatures are changing as a gas is going up. Its temperature is changing. It may now want to start to, to come back down after being in the higher altitude. So a lot of different variables, even within the variation. All right, I got a trivia question for you because I remember this word from way back when we had an episode on weather in hazmat with Bob Metcalf, and he used the word of daytime, and this is why the ERG uh, has a daytime evacuation and a nighttime evacuation, and people are like, oh, it's because of, you know, uh, occupancies or people being home. It, the, the term, what is the term for the day-sun mixing? don't know. Diurnal, Diurnal I mixing. Never got that. I feel, I feel like I could take the SAT. There you again. go. Yes. So, along with that, increased turbulence and vertical mixing in the atmosphere can help disperse gases more quickly. Uh, and we're talking about the same turbulence that you experience in, a, in an airplane. There's just like uh, less pressure over more pressure kind of pockets. Um, not only that, but wind patterns might change as the, re the result of diurnal mixing and affect the direction and the speed of the gas dispersion. So at night, when, you know, daytime, it's uh, typically a little bit windier. And at night, it's less windy, typically, uh, but also you have sure. the cooling there, right? And so when you have evening and night cooling, the absence of the solar heating can lead to cooling of the surface. And this cooling can co make completely different yeah especially that affecting that temperature inversion that we talked about it's much more likely to actually occur at night um when that layer of trapped air and cool air kind of start to to intermingle um so when at night our wind speeds tend to decrease right we had mentioned before that that wind can help disperse so now you have a situation let's say you're transitioning from one to another right we have to think about these things oh it's day now it's going to be night in a few in a few hours or so what could potentially happen what things do i need to plan ahead you know you could be a situation where you don't have much of a of a of a uh, an inversion things are dissipating quickly and then all of a sudden you're like oh man you you taste ammonia like do you smell that what what is happening things are starting to build up well mm. you had a change in the nighttime cooling I like that. Yeah, and those transition times, um, they really, because now you're in between the cooling and the slowing. So you have, uh, it's going to get real complex. And the thing is, do you really need to read into it? I, I am not, I'll be honest with you, as a technician, I never really was like, wait a second, it's the sun goes down at 623 and the tides are coming no. in. I never did that. I just kind of read right. the tea leaves and just said, okay, yeah, when this we, is where like we are, it is. Factors, right? What do we talk about with conversion factors? You need to understand they exist so that they can be a thought in your brain. Like you said, I read the tea leaves. Well, right. you got to have the goddamn tea leaves in the tea to read. If you don't realize that things could change, right? Like you were talking about the transition period going from dawn and dusk. Um, if you're not aware that things could potentially change, you might not even have the leaves in the tea to read. And that's where this stuff becomes right. important. Right. It's the understanding it exists so that you go from not knowing that you don't know what you don't know to knowing that you don't know what you don't know.
I was <laughs> hoping you'd hit that button. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you want that? <laughs> we also have, go. especially coming from <laughs> the city that we came from, which literally had its own potential for weather patterns. You have to be very uh, aware of local effects of temperature uh, conditions, right? What tends to happen in my area, in my city? For us, we were we were urban. Everything was streets and blacktop buildings. So naturally, we would have a bubble of, of very, very, very hot, humid weather. And that would play an effect on how things would be uh, released. The time, of, the time of day in a specific area, when you kind of mix that in with the topography, especially in the city, uh, where wind patterns can change between buildings, uh, you can get extremely localized temperature difference that completely change your dispersion pattern. Yeah, it was really weird because you used to have, um, they couldn't, like that, when we say about plume modeling, I can honestly say, I don't think we ever plume modeled anything because, especially in Manhattan, um, because you would have an east, easterly breeze going on, on, on the avenues and you'd have a southerly breeze going on the streets and it would change depending on what section you were in. So like you can have your own wind patterns, dispersion models. It would change going around a corner. Yeah. A totally different weather pattern yeah. there. Yeah. Going it was literally really left, like you walk around the corner, you got a breeze on one side of your face. You walk around, now the breeze is on the other side of your face. It, it, it is, <laughs> it is, uh, it, it was, still is. Uh, all right. One thing that we talked about during that ammonia release uh, breakdown was humidity, right? We were talking about how does ammonia. Mm. Does it go up? Does it go down? Ah, but in humid weather, it, it tends to stick to the ground. Uh, humidity refers to literally the amount of moisture in the air. High humidity levels can absolutely affect gas dispersion by literally increasing the gas density and reducing the speed at which they rise. It literally, I mean, it suppresses it, right? It's going to suppress those vapors. Uh, moist air is denser than dry air, which can, again, lead to that more localization and concentration of gas plume. You know what we're telling you about that? Communications. So, Cavcom is one of our sponsors, and they uh, have a great website. Yeah. Well, so let's review they it. have recently re-relaunched, uh, re re-relaunched. Oh, my God, I can't speak. They have recently launched their Team Talk hands-free communication <laughs> system. Now, as two people who have used the uh, CAVCOM systems in the past, we can tell you that the, the, the background of this company, as far as communication abilities, is actually spectacular. So when they came out and they have this Team Talk uh, ability where they're actually, they're not voice-miked, they're not talking a mic through here. They literally have a microphone inside of your ear that is picking up the vibrations of your eardrum. They have produced a product that almost completely eliminates background noise. It is, I can say without a doubt, is one of the coolest things. And we have a really cool idea to do with it. Um, I'm hoping to get that on the maybe next show. I don't know, but... Great website. Go check them out. They are at cavcominc.com, and you can reach them at 866-547-4988 and tell them we sent them and say, sup. So, humidity 
really grinds my gears because really, conversely, this is a hazmat show. Well, doesn't grind your levels. gears; it breaks your bonds. Oh, that's good. That's the new. That's the new slogan. All right. Um, so it could result in faster dispersion in the air as less dense and gases rise more quickly. Now, gas density is also intermingled with this humidity thing because it affects the density of air. Right, so moist air is less dense than dry air because the vapor molecules are lighter than the molecules of nitrogen and oxygen that make up makes up the yeah, majority and that of the atmosphere. Literally goes to affect the buoyancy of the plume. Um, gases released in high air, high humidity air, they tend to again rise more slowly due to that reduced density. So here we're seeing the effects of other variables on other variables. If that if that kind of makes right like that is it's compounding. it's compounding that's why the plume modeling is so important right we we it's so hard to get a good plume model because there are so many different variables at play um and all of this kind of tends to um really come into effect when we talk about the plume rise right because we don't we don't often think about what is this particular molecule doing we often think about what is it what is the group of them doing and in low humidity conditions, right, as we said, those gases released in the atmosphere, they tend to be more buoyant. So they're going to go up and they're going to. So the plume is still going to disperse out, but it's going to go up faster than it's going out. So you can almost start to get that three dimensional view of how big it's getting as it's as it's going up and hitting those higher altitudes. Now, conversely, in higher humidity things, moist air. Gases have less buoyancy and may not rise as rapidly, and this can lead to a lower plume height. So I like knowing a little more than I, I I'm kind of learning a little bit on this one. So the concentration gradient, because we think about these like plumes, it's like you got to remember that the, there is a point where it starts at 100 and it mm. feathers out. Right. And so it's not like there's not a, a, balloon. a finite line. They kind of have this blow up a balloon in the right. Exactly. Right. It's not right up against the wall. So the, the concentration gradient of a glass gas plume is influenced by specifically humidity in dry conditions. Gases may disperse more rapidly, leading to a more uniform distribution and lower concentrations so at the in, source. Conversely, uh, in humid conditions, gas plumes disperse more slowly, resulting in a more concentrated bloom plume near the release point now how does that play into our operation well understanding that i you know if you're turning around you're going wow i'm only getting five parts per million here understand that a few feet away because that plume has a higher concentration gradient you're going to go into higher levels much more quickly Whereas a nice dry area, you may have five over here, five parts per million here, 15 feet away, you got six parts per million. It is It, it disperses out evenly. So we, we talk about these things, and yes, the plume is the plume, but there's concentration gradients inside the plume, which affects how we meter. It affects what we would predict to happen, and it affects how we tend to think about what is going to happen in the future and how to get people in certain areas to get the, the as best of readings as possible just rem just remember it's like a, it's on an x y and z axis yeah, and you got to consider multiple these. dimensions it's not your x y z and time right? right so it's it's just there's so much going on how does humidity affect the chemical reactions 
right? This was a, a mailbag question from, from your other day. Uh, some chemical reactions, they react with the water vapor in the air, potentially changing the properties and forming a new compound. Humidity can absolutely influence the rate uh, of the reaction, right? It, it helps drive a reaction in one way or another. Great example of this would be like an acidic gas. It reacts with the water vapor. It now forms an acidic uh, aerosol, which can affect the behavior and have health implications uh, far, far down the, the, the dispersion path that we would not have normally thought of. Now, we, we kind of went into the topic of rainfall in the last couple of inclement weather uh, episodes. But when you have extremely high humidity, which once you start getting up almost 100, you are raining, you know, like so it may be associated with some rainfall. So rain can help move chemicals from the atmosphere by just basically scavenging them out of the air and depositing them on the ground or into bodies of water. And so this could be both a benefit by reducing your exposure risk or detrimental by yeah. contaminating the water source. A response point of view, uh, especially when we talk about that transition or, or temperature changes as we start to now mush variables together, uh, high humidity can reduce visibility. So from an operational point of view, understanding that you don't have a good big picture view of what's happening makes uh, operating on a scene much more challenging uh, to assess the 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 plume itself assess its direction, monitor for its movement. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, we talk, especially electrochemical sensors, sometimes sensors that rely on um, resistance, like uh, the, give me a second to think about it, the negative corona discharge, they can be massively affected by humidity. So all this needs to be taken into account uh, when you're operating 